Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in collaborating together around five key initiatives, which we see the Apostle Paul working out in Acts 13 and 14, which is consistent and citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, because we're in the season of Lent, we've been spending more time on the topic of prayer. And uh, I am so excited to introduce to you a friend of mine who's also part of the Soma family of churches, uh, Michael Sullivan. So Michael, I'm so glad you were with us. I'm so glad, we call you Sully, just in case people don't know that, but uh, Sully, so glad you're here. Would you tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, the church you lead, and uh, yeah, any other fun facts that everyone would want to hear about in order to get to know you better? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um... For all those Massachusetts listeners out there, and I hope there are a few, uh, Sully Kid would be something that you would hear uh, in many places throughout our state because it's still a top three last name. So um, it's a privilege to be among the Sullivans in Massachusetts. Um, I get to be in Worcester, Mass. Uh, and if you're looking at it, you might think it's pronounced Worcester. I did that once when I was interviewing for a university position up here. They corrected me and I've never done it again. So it looks like Worcester. It's Worcester. Imagine W-U-H-S-T-A-H. Uh, but it's right in the middle of the state. Um, if you actually drive around in the city, it has hearts on the signs because uh, it's the heart of the Commonwealth. Uh, some may argue against that. In fact, there's a Lion King meme that uh, Mufasa looks out at all the light and says, everywhere the light touches is Massachusetts. And then Simba looks at the elephant graveyard and says, but what about that dark spot over there? That's Worcester. You must never go there. So, <laughs> but, um, but thankfully, I get to be part of a city that um, was key in the Industrial Revolution and now is making a turn. Um, I am grateful that I get to be among uh, a priest, among a kingdom of priests. And... Um, in Emmaus City Church, which is the church I get to be a part of. Um, and by God's grace, we hope to serve Jesus's Big C Church and uh, all that he's doing in the city of Worcester. And I get to say we with my wife, Julie, as well as our four kids. We've got two teenagers now uh, and two in elementary school. And so we're rocking and rolling. I love it. That's so good. Well, I'm really glad you're you're with me. For those who you don't know, um, and do you prefer Michael, Mike, or Sully? Whichever you prefer, Jeff. Go with what <laughs> feels most natural, and we'll we'll go with it. I love it. Um, well, um, I'll, I'll I'll call you Michael then. Um, is that what your mom calls you when you're in trouble? Well, yeah, but it's also a term of endearment. My wife calls me that, and then a, a few uh, friends that also serve as mentors call me Michael. So you fit right in. You're good. All right, <laughs> I'll do that. Well, Michael, the what maybe people don't know is one of the reasons why I wanted you on this uh, podcast is because anytime I've been with you or anytime I've engaged in a conversation or watched you in a conversation, I've just seen um, a depth of, um, I'll just say a, a depth of knowledge, but also a depth of heart. Um, when When I hear you talk about 
about relating to the Lord, about um, practices that help us grow in our relationship with Him. Uh, I just, I said it earlier when we, before we started that I, I see you as a pretty deep well. You really are a blessing in the Soma family for sure. And I know you're a blessing to many who are a part of our family, but I, I wanted you on this because of that. I really think there's a, a depth of character and experience and knowledge and humility that I think will serve people well. So I want to say that about you. You won't say that about yourself, but I want to say that about you because I, I do hope our listeners will be encouraged by the things that you'll share. Well, that is a depth of kindness and generosity that um, I'm grateful that probably in those moments where I'm getting out of Jesus's way and hopefully he's speaking and sharing, that's what you're seeing. So um, my wife and my kids and my church family would probably be able to speak to the times of how much more I need Jesus uh, in the midst of my walk with God that tends to be very humble. So I, I appreciate the encouragement. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us. And I especially wanted to start with just the topic of Lent in terms of this season, what it means, uh, why it's such an important part of the church calendar. And, you know, some people maybe don't observe it, uh, some do, uh, but regardless, there's something really remarkable about the concept and the idea. And even before we were, you know, starting to record, you shared a little bit that I didn't want to lose. So I'd love it if you'd share a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those that wasn't familiar with it, um, probably saw it as peculiar in some ways. And then Predominantly, since moving up to New England, I've been here now for a baker's dozen amount of years, and uh, it's definitely home. But began to lean into Lent uh, as this season. Lent actually means springtime. Um, and I think in many ways, Lent helps us long for the spring because it, it's also a time in which we get to be really honest with ourselves. Um, Lent often begins, depending on where you are in the world, um, but for those of us in Massachusetts, when it's dark and when it's cold and, uh, and you're not seeing blossom um, and often the weight of, um, yeah, just the weight of internal emotions as well as the weight of the external, whether we've been lacking sunshine or um, we're just hoping for more uh, begins to weigh on us. And so the beauty of Lynn is we get to be honest uh, with ourselves about that and honest with God and saying that, uh, Lord, often this life is too much and, and I want to sprint ahead. Um, but Lent asks us to pause and say, yes, we'll get to Holy Week. Yes, we'll get to the time where we recognize not only Jesus turning his face to Jerusalem and to the cross and the pause of Holy Saturday, as well as just the incredible power and victory of Resurrection Sunday. But before then, uh, walk with me, tarry with me a little bit longer. And so Lent helps us kind of step into a season that's moving from death to life and recognize how much we're contributing to death, even as we're hoping for more life. Mm. Wow, man, that's so rich. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, how long have you, how long has Lent been something that you've more actively observed? Has it been since you've been in the Northeast or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had some mentors in the Northeast is um, not only considering as to why I called us here geographically, God called us here, but also uh, in the midst of that call, what was he calling us to? And so um, and kind of discerning if he was calling me to be among some shepherds in this region, I uh, just began to look into it more because this part of the country still has uh, deep Catholic roots in terms of the immigrants that came over, whether they were Irish or Italian or Polish or French. Um, 
And so I just wanted to, again, look at Jesus's big C church and consider um, how has this shaped people and where does this fit into the church's history? And, and uh, while there could be reasons to be skeptical of it, what could it be in terms of a seasonal discipleship of living out the Christian year? Um, and so really the last decade, it's been foundational for me as I continue to look at how the Christian year helps us walk the journey with Jesus even more. Because uh, I think we could talk about daily encounters with Jesus that are good to have disciplines around. We could talk about uh, weekly in some ways, whether it's with a community on mission or whether it's with our Sabbath gathering. But then to have your whole year oriented around uh, what somebody like Robert Weber would call ancient future time, uh, rather than just living for the chronology of the next year, but actually living within uh, the already not yet that Jesus is resurrected. And what does it mean to kind of walk with him and the way he walked on this earth? So it's really been the last decade. I think that was a little bit more answer than you wanted, but that's, that's been what shaped me for the last decade. So. No, that's what I wanted, man. That's good. Over the years, what are some particular practices? Uh, we're going to spend some time on prayer uh, specifically, but overall, like what are some of the particular practices or experiences you've found yourself creating or having, uh, as you've observed Lent more intentionally? Yeah. I mean, fasting tends to be one during Lent in terms of, uh, you know, what have we accumulated, uh, that we're living off of that are functional saviors or false saviors. And so Lent is like, well, if we're going to walk with Jesus, uh, if we're going to go with God, whether it's recognizing Israel's 40 years in the desert or Jesus's 40 days of temptation with the enemy, um, you know, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word of God. And so um, continuing to incorporate that has been a discipline that Lent has introduced me to. And then there have been others. I mean, it's amazing how much, particularly our Orthodox sisters and brothers, how much they fast every year and and how much it's a, it's a learning how to bend the will to God. Um, and, and so that's been one that's been good just to what does a 24 hour fast look like? How do you lean into it when you get hungry or when you feel empty and say, God, like I am hungry, but I need the bread of life and I am empty. But honestly, it's because um, I've deserted you too much. And now I'm in a desert space and you're still the streams of living water that I need to drink from. And so helping the body lead our minds and hearts, because I think sometimes we, we try to lead quick with our minds, which can be really good. Uh, we try to lead quick with our hearts, which again can be really good. Um, so we've got orthodoxy, uh, we've got you know orthopathos if we're moving into the emotional, and then but what's the orthopraxy? And so I think Lent kind of helps do that. And then from the other side, depending on if we're fasting from things that might cost us money uh, that we'd normally give to, is how do we then be generous with maybe that overflow of time we have if we're fasting from things, and then. It's not just taking away. I think sometimes we think of Lent as like removing things, and that's true. Um, but like Chalmers wrote about in terms of uh, the power of a new affection, there's something beautiful in the emptying, but it's so that there can be a flow that comes from it. And so I think Lent's a time where it's like, how generous am I really being with my family? How generous am I really being with my neighbors or my church or uh, with the stranger that uh, in many ways may be in it? angel I'm entertaining unaware. So, so those are kind of things that are framed in historic Lent that I've also tried to step into and then just invite uh, Emmaus City into. We've got a collection of people across different traditions. And so um, 
New Englanders tend to be uh, a little bit more skeptical and cynical because we've seen it all before. We're one of the oldest areas of the country. And so whenever you're introducing something new to those that have either heard it or seen it done badly, um, (laughs) then then it becomes, I don't know about that, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Makes sense though, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are, those are some of the ones, but uh, there are, there are other kind of beautiful things too, in terms of like, not only on the fasting side and the prayer side, um, but yeah, even, even the generosity side, the almsgiving has been another one. And so what does it look like to, to look for people to be paying attention to uh, entertaining the Christ incognito or the, the Christ I don't tend to recognize because I'm too busy trying to fill myself with other things. Mm. I love that balance of abstinence and action. Like we're going to abstain, but also be actively generous. And, I, you know, I, C.S. Lewis talked about the idea that at one point we exchanged this idea of the virtue of love for the virtue of um, abstinence or what we would call uh, trying to be selfless. But what we've often done is we've made that the end instead of the means that by being selfless, by taking up as it were, a cross and denying ourselves, we actually get to follow him. It's not denial, self-denial that we're after. It's the opportunity to pursue the one who denied himself for us so that we could have life in him. And so I think if abstinence is the goal, then we miss out on the opportunities. And so I love that you've got the balance of fasting so that we can be generous or fasting so that we can also feast in other ways. And that balance is really helpful, I think. So. Yeah, praise God that you know, just beholding Jesus and saying, Lord, you did this so well as someone who didn't have a place to rest your head. And yet, um, life was just overflowing. Uh, you know, I love that old Dallas Willard quote where it's like, Jesus was never in a rush. And so yeah. can we step into Lent learning how to not be in a rush? Um, and I think that's, that's something I need to be discipled in a lot. So, mm. That's so good. I mean, actually, one of the best practices that has been one of my favorite practices in the last probably 10 years has been silence and solitude, simply because my great, one of my greatest struggles is I'm, I'm too busy and too much in a hurry. And it's, it's the one thing that forces me to not accomplish anything and not have to go anywhere. And uh, yeah, it's been a really good practice for me over the years. So. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. There was something that complimented that is uh, I went to the uh, Abbey of the Genesee a few years ago. And um, for some listeners that love reading Henry Nowen, they might have read the Genesee Diary where he spent um, almost a year's time at this monastery. Um, but I went with a group where there's a leader in my denomination that has uh, worked with global mission uh locally in our country, but also in other parts of the world. And the thing that impacted him that has really stuck with me as well in terms of these monks practices of silence and solitude, as well as practicing uh, the Benedictine hours of prayer was he was like, you know what, Sully, when I looked at them, what impacted me the most is they're going to do this, whether anybody else shows up or not, because God's always there. Mm. And man, that's just like, for someone who gets to serve a congregation in New England, for someone that um, can be pulled and too many of his own selfish desires to show up for something. And let's say show up for silence and solitude, not because anybody else is going to see it or be there, but because God's there. Like that was just like, wow, that's something that uh, is just beautiful because 
Mm. Yeah, the, the great quote of Irenaeus that I think Aaron Equus quoted on the last podcast in terms of uh, the glory of God as a human being fully alive. He actually finishes that quote. And, uh, and then the glory of a human being is beholding God. So there's actually like this other side to it where, again, uh, we're not only made in his image in the Imago Dei, but uh, I think in the silence and solitude, we also learn how to be the beloved daughter, the beloved son in which he's well pleased without doing anything. We get to be in that. And so I think in that beholding and even how uh, Makoto Fujimura kind of breaks that down. It's like be and hold. Like it's it's how we actually appreciate art rather than treating it as a consumeristic thing to just jump from to the next. But like to behold the beauty of God in that moment. Um, mm. I get. I think we receive in the silence and solitude so much more of what we need because He's not demanding things of us. So yeah. Oh man, the, the idea that that I get to just be and behold. I know for me, even thinking that may his face shine upon you. And I, mm. I don't think that we, we sit in that long enough. I think it often becomes a blessing at the end of a gathering and then we go back to our busy life. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we could sit in that a little bit longer and just receive that, that pleasure that he feels towards us and the us toward him. Uh, I, I, when I think about, older couples who've truly learned how to deeply love and deeply appreciate the other. They're just content being present with each other. They don't even have to talk. They just being in the presence is enough. And I think for me, that's been the journey in my silence and solitude is uh, I don't have to talk. God doesn't have to talk. We don't have to even exchange ideas. We can just be and behold and I, I do think, I know for me, I'm too too hurried too often to sit and just enjoy his face. So yeah, that's beautiful. And even learning how to do that, like there's so much, whether it's performance anxiety or, or, or so many other things, like, am I doing this right? Am I supposed to feel anything like, hmm. and how to just continue to come back to that? Um, like, no, um, I think probably one of the prayers that has not only been a Lenten prayer, but one that I've come back to and enjoyed all the more is just the Kyrie eleison, like, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And like, uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. Um, I mean, it's, there's a reason why the Jesus prayers, you know, Jesus, son of David, son of God, have mercy on me. A sinner is one that, uh, particularly those that, we might all recognize this saints comes back to again and again, because it centers them on this place where remember Bartimaeus was saying that he was blind. Jesus was the one that not only tuned his ear to the cry among the crowd, but, you know, came to him and said, what do you want? (laughs) And I mean, what I think, you know, so often in prayer, we start with what we want, but what is it like to sit in the mercy of God and to actually like, get a sense that Jesus is looking at you personally in the eyes and saying, what do you want? And do we have the freedom and the vulnerability to actually tell him that in that moment? That's so personal. Mm -hmm. But again, I think Mm -hmm. it takes time like it does in any friendship or any loving relationship to kind of get to that place where we're like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm laid bare. You already knew me in my bare, you know, nakedness, but like, I think I'm actually beginning to speak it to you. (laughs) Mm. 
I had a season of few years ago where I, I think I was afraid to be that naked. Uh, I, yeah. I really wondered if he did. He, when he saw me, if he still liked me. Yeah. I mean, and I feel I, you on that. Oh man, I worked through David Banner's books, his trilogy in particular, Gift of Being Yourself and Surrender to Love, and realized I still was presenting, I still was performing in so many ways. And so even as you said that, I was just reminded again of that, the flesh tendency to want to put a layer, a distance between me and him. And uh, thank you for sharing that. It brought me back to that moment. What was the sweetest thing about it for you, Jeff? Like when that kind of realization or that comfort came? Well, it didn't come right away. I'll be honest. Like I was actually away for uh, about three and a half, four days of silence and solitude. And it was during my sabbatical. And I had come through a really, really tough season, which led to a lot of self-doubt and God doubt, to be honest, both directions. And yeah there was this moment when I, I had gone for like a walk and I just decided I was, I was along the ocean. I just, I was going to walk until I was done. And I walked for like six hours. Uh, mm-hmm. I just kept walking and would pause and wait and walk. And, and then when I, when I, and I kept think I kept hearing this, like, I see you, I know you, I love you. And I kept answering, but, but, you know, like, but this, but that, and, and, uh, and it, it finally, I, I, it finally, he finally broke through in a way. I, really, he wasn't, he didn't need to break through. I just needed to listen and receive. I finally was able to fully receive it. And, it, you know, the Psalm 139 that, you know, where can I go from your presence? It's interesting that in that particular Psalm, he says, even if I go to Sheol, you know, and I, I, I used to think geographical in that Psalm, like, like mm. whatever geographical place I go to, he'll be with me. And what really hit me was, no, no, no. Even in my worst, even in the the places where I don't even like what I've done, I don't like who I see, I don't like who I've become, he's still with me. And then, it, you know, the psalmist says, you know, you knit me together in my mother's, in mother's womb. Like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know yeah. that full well. I praise your works. And that, that's really the work is me. Like he created me. I'm one of his works. And I, I think maybe for the most, the, probably the most profound moment in my life was when I really felt that so deeply. I mean, I've, you know, me, I preach it. I've been writing about it. Like it's part of my vernacular, but there was something about seeing myself more fully and all the things that I would not want to accept about myself and realizing that he absolutely loves me. Mm. He really likes me. He really rejoices over me. And there was a depth of, of warmth. Like it was like a, I don't know how to describe it other than like a, a very warm shower of his affection, Mm. just like pouring over me. And it just kept coming. And in some ways I'd be like, no. And then it would be like, yes. And I finally was able to just sit. I mean, I sat for a while at this bench and just, just received. And it was the safest and maybe at the same time scariest. Cause there was a part of me that was like, is this going to go away? But it was, uh, it was a depth of kindness and warmth and affection. I had not felt yeah. in my entire walk with Jesus. And 
I mean, I hold to that moment because it was, I remember the words that I kept saying is like, for so much of my life, this has been ambition and now it's affection. Yeah. So much was compulsion. I've got to do, I've got to do. And now this was like a deep abiding conviction. I am, and I'm loved. And yeah, it was, it was remarkable, man. You turned this on me. I wasn't, I wanted to ask you more questions, but it's a, it's, it's a moment I will never forget. And it's, it's what's protected me in the last several years from, from the tendency to push myself away. Now, in mentioning Psalm 139, thank you for not only sharing a good journey on the beach uh, and in those hours, but also taking us through some of your life uh, to compliment Psalm 139 that I think, yeah, it can be particularly healing for, for those that have not heard the voice of the Father, as well as those that have been hurt by those seemingly speaking for the Father, but not really. Um, mm. Psalm eighteen nineteen has been another place I've gone to where it's, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And that's one that I've needed to come back to and, and sit with others in because it's like, man, when we try to be the savior or other things do, it just suffocates us. So to have the psalmist say, like, he brought me into a spacious place. Like, what's it like being in a spacious place where you're, you're not claustrophobic with your own sin anymore, but also you're not um, so in control that you're white knuckling everything. It's like the spaciousness to kind of, you know, whether you, you can raise your hands and worship to God, um, whether you can mm. lift your hands out and say, I, I need something only you can give. Um, but then to hear like, no, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And, uh, mm. yeah, I think there can be a deep groan in that where it's like, like, does he really delight in me? Um, and, and to let that be kind of like you said, uh, a wash over you. One thing physically to, to again, kind of move in our hearts and our minds of believing this um, is actually going back to the sign of the cross. And I know for maybe a good amount of our Protestant listeners that can seem really foreign or maybe a little superstitious, but for people that didn't have a copy of the scriptures for themselves and for someone like you, Jeff, that's been so helpful and, uh, teaching and discipling people to live out their baptismal identity, even as you describing that situation is like a washing again of like, no, 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 I am a child of God. Like I am a friend and servant of the King. I am uh, someone the Holy Spirit wants to make home with and actually film like Holy Spirit's willing to go in all those nooks and crannies and crevices and, and move through me to breathe the breath of God so that I can breathe on others. Um, that's what the sign of the cross is doing. And um, I know our listeners can't see this, but it's interesting. Um, the holding together of the three fingers is to remember the Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the two fingers, which would be your ring finger and pinky, are pointed down to represent the divinity and the humanity of Jesus that came down to save us. So, I mean, just think about that. Like, what if you were to remember in those moments of like hardship? Um, like it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In the name of the Father, I'm a child of God. In the name of the Son, like I'm a friend and servant of the King. And then in the name of the Spirit, like I'm filled with the beloved breath of God. And uh, and to disciple ourselves in that almost as a rebaptismal moment. And so for for those that uh, are our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters that step into that font, and it's not rote and it's not uh, superstitious, but it's supernaturally natural. Uh, maybe they're baptize or they're showing us and discipling us what it means to live out that baptism and that belovedness. Um, so that's oh, actually been yeah. a practice that 
it doesn't come natural to me, but I continue to do more because it helps me again, center to that. What's my identity? Like, am I part of the family of the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So thank you for all your work in discipling us to live out our baptismal or gospel identity. Uh, and thank you, Jesus, for teaching your church how to do that throughout all of its history, it seems. Yeah. I mean, what you described is is such a a embodied uh, faith. Like you, uh, people, people can see it, but just the, the, the three fingers together, the two pointing down, the making the sign of the cross on the forehead. Like there is something that I think we, some of us, especially in more Protestant or evangelical circles in the West have lost in some cases. And that is some of that more embodied presence or symbolic uh, remembrance. And that is one of the things I think Lent offers us and, and can teach us and instruct us in. I think even in how we enter into how we pray. In fact, I, I wasn't thinking mm-hmm. about this, but I want to open it up. It's like, how, how, how does that inform? How does this embodied reality inform how we pray and what yeah. kinds of forms prayer takes? I'd, I'd love to even hear from you either that question or even just other ways in which you've found prayer, different ways of practicing or engaging in prayer to be helpful for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, the more engagement with the Trinity has been helpful. Um, and so um, I loved in Justin Whitmill Early's book, The uh, Common Rule, he kind of frames the day. Um, so more than likely, our early followers of Jesus will pray the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And I think that's a good practice. And I could touch on that in a minute. But like Whitmill Early um, just does this beautiful job of simplicity where it's like, uh, you wake up to the day and uh, you say, Holy Spirit, I was made for your presence. Let me be present with you and with others and all that I say and do. Amen. And uh, and what he says is like, if you can get on your knees and do that. And that's been something that uh, I've asked the mm-hmm. Maya City. And to be honest, Jeff, like when I'm on my knees, uh, I recognize who's the king. And I'm also kind of almost in a fetal position, so I don't have to like be the uh, the overcomer by myself that I, in pride I probably want to be. Um, and so I'd like to be on my knees more. Uh, James, who wrote the letter we have in our scriptures, one of his nicknames in Christian tradition was Old Camel Knees because of how much he prayed. And so I've asked people in Emmaus City, like, ask me, you know, when you see me, how often am I on my knees? Do I have camel knees? And to be honest, like, they're not flat like they should be. Um, but I just love like, and then the middle of the day would be stepping into, cause Jesus, Jesus is active in the middle of the day, but that's when we can often uh, be tempted again to operate out of our own strength or maybe even move to apathy um, and apathy, not in necessarily even not caring, but not being fully human. Um, uh, that kind of even goes into the old kind of definition of apathy that the, seven deadly sins kind of went around was the sense of sloth was more about not actually being fully alive. It was being less than what God created you to be. Um, and so in the middle of the day being like, you know, Jesus, thank you for serving me. And then like, thank you for all the ways you're serving, help me to join you and how, you know, in serving others and how you're loving them. And so like just having that focus again of like who reigns my day in the middle of the day. And then the end of the day being Father, I was made to rest in your love. Help my mind, my body, and my heart now as I lay down to rest in that. 
So that would be a simple Trinitarian prayer that takes about 10 seconds at, you know, three different parts of your day, but recognizes all of the communion and union of God that we're invited to be embracing and receiving in love just to frame our days. And I think, again, Aaron did a good job of talking a little bit more about the examine. So I won't go into uh, Ignatius' examine. Listeners, go back to the previous podcast and hear, hear Aaron and Jeff talk about that one. But uh, mm-hmm. that's another way, I think, to, to reflect on the love we need. So, mm. Yeah, as you, were, as you were sharing that, I had two images come to my mind. One is just the bodily image of like starting our day on our knees, inviting the spirit to enable us to, to walk through that day with the presence of God, the power of God, the, you know, the, the ability of that God wants to grant us. Then the middle of the day in a sense, and I don't know if you did this, but it's just what I saw when you were talking about uh, Jesus, help me to be alive, help me be present to you and what you're doing. And just, I just saw myself like with my hands open, you know, just yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to forget who you made me to be as an image bearer of God, servant of the King, friend of the Savior, like we're doing this together all day long. And then at night laying down, rested, you know, even that back to that fetal position of saying, I'm, I'm so at home in the father's love. So that was the image of those three images. But then I thought, what if every follower of Jesus, that was every day? Yeah. What if? Like, Such a oh great question. Goodness. I mean, I just think, you know, like our hope is to see gospel saturation. What we mean by that is, Jesus present in and through his people everywhere we go in such a way that the world would see that God is with us and yeah, not so that we would live it and then we would declare it. And man, if that was the way we were all praying, I do think we would be a different, there would be a different embodiment of the presence of God in our every workplace that we're in. So, Well, and I, I love, again, listener, you couldn't see Jeff, but uh, putting your hands almost out in a cross-like pose for the middle of the day. Justin in his oh. book talks about having our hen, like we could be in a business meeting and it's the middle of the day. It's like, okay, I'm, I don't know if I can get on my knees, but uh, but can I put my hands out? But even to come to the middle of the day and say, Lord, can I be cruciform today with mm. you in a way in which I get to participate in your sufferings? Um, and, and again, participate, I think is the key. Uh, like we can't, Somehow he wants us and invites us into that presence with him. And we get to participate in this way as the body of Christ in ways that's beautiful and mysterious. But like, what's it like to, I mean, cause we could have a horrible morning where everything's tight and we're like, okay, I just want to be in control again. I don't want to open myself to anybody else. I've already had enough people critique me today. I'm hurting. But like, what's it like to like stand somewhere and to get in a cross like pose and say, okay, Jesus, I need your embrace, but I want to embrace the world in the second half of this day because it's Ugh. not over yet. So good. Uh, you know, and, and in the midst of it not being over yet, like, this journey with you is one of death and resurrection. So even if I'm dying right now, and this even goes back to Lent, Lent's this movement from death to life. Even if I'm dying right now, I'm open to death because I know you won't leave me in the grave. And like, what's it like to, to live into that prayer in that moment? Man, the words that came to my mind as you're talking is that for the joy set before him, yeah, he endured the cross. And if we could like, in the middle of our day, just go like, I know there's joy set before me. This doesn't, this isn't worthless. This isn't meaningless. This, this isn't, this isn't somehow just a waste of time. Like in the midst of my day, Jesus, you are here, you are working. Would you be glorified? I want to have joy set before me that at the end of the day, I get to crawl into my father's arms again and know I'm received in a sense. Like if our day could end, could be a bit of that, 
crucified life that ends in resurrection sleep. You know, we're going to bed, but we know we're going to wake up in the morning with new mercies again. Just amazing, man. Well, and even the beauty of Holy Saturday um, has become even more of a framework for me and, and what you're describing too, where it's like, it's so beautiful. It's horrific and somehow mysteriously beautiful. Jesus dies on Friday. We call it good, but there's no reason it's good if it's the end of the story. Yeah. And yet resurrection, obviously, we tend to really celebrate, but we need Holy Saturday. And isn't it interesting that Holy Saturday is on the Sabbath? You can't do anything to make Jesus resurrect. All you can do is trust him. And so what is it like to get into our beds and almost consider that like yes. a, a practice of Holy Saturday over and over again, where it's like, Lord, I just feel like this day is dead and dying. And I don't know if anything that was planted today is going to bear fruit. Uh, it just mm-hmm. looks like a lot of manure. And to be honest, I was the one that added the most junk to it. Um, and uh, And yet to be like, but this holy night, you can do more in it. And so like, help me to just lay down and know that like your mercies are new every morning as we so often sing and quote to each other. But the reality is, is if the resurrection is true, then when the sun rises, we're even getting an embodiment of the sun who is risen because it's in him and through him and for him are all things, including the sun that, uh, we want to feel more of the warmth of. And thankfully in today in Worcester, after snowfall earlier this week, we're almost to 50 degrees. So it's nice to feel that fun today. <laughs> You're coming back to the light. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the days are getting longer. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Well, this is so, this has been good for my soul. Just if all we were doing is just you and I talking, this was a, a, t- a good 40 minutes spent. So thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything else you would want to share as we close that's on your heart. If not, nothing. But if you got something, man, I want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I had mentioned at the very beginning, the name of our congregation is Emmaus City Church. And um, and so I want to share that for the listener right now that practices of prayer have been what you've done, or maybe it's just so new and it seems like I don't even know how to listen to God or what, what if I hear it wrong or like scripture's really hard right now. And I I don't see myself connected to Jesus's story. I would just say like, uh, I've been there with you as much as I wanted to name Emmaus city church because I wanted to be like Jesus on the road. Oftentimes I'm still the one on the road that is in pain and he's listening to me, but I can't see him and I don't recognize him. And, uh, and I'm walking away from peace. I mean, the name of the city that they were walking away from is Jerusalem, which means city of peace. And, uh, and yet Jesus walks with you, even as you seem to be walking away from any sense of peace, everything you hoped for. That's the refrain of the disciples on the Emmaus road is, well, we had hoped we would be redeemed. We had hoped that um, everything that's oppressing us would be overcome. And uh, yeah, Jesus is still patient with you. And I desperately need him to be patient with me. And thankfully, uh, the name of our God is the Lord, the Lord, full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, <laughs> abounding in steadfast covenantal love. Um, and so I pray that that's something you can hear. And uh, one other thing would just be, since we talked about prayer, uh, it's a quote that's helped me uh, if God just seems really, really silent. Uh, A.J. Sherrill wrote a book recently called Being With God. And in the book, he quotes, he says, what if God's first language towards us is silence? Because in Jesus and everything he's done for us, he has nothing to say against us. Wow. 
And I think that's one that I've needed to continue to say. And even as I share it with you, I'm sharing it with myself because like, I think we want God to say more and by God's grace and by the spirit and his word and revelation, he does say more at times. But if you're just in a season where it's just like dead silence, what if you imagine that dead silence, not God's face turned away from you or walking away from you or showing you his back, but instead like he's actually looking at you and he's got nothing to say against you because for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And so in the midst of that, you're clothed in Jesus, which means you're in a right relationship with God and right relationship with others uh, in the midst of forgiveness and mercy needed. And uh, yeah, so that that's my my last thing is like, what if what if his first language towards you is silence because he has nothing to say against you because of everything he showcased in his love and accomplished in Jesus's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit until. He returns to reconcile heaven and earth. I think that's enough, man. That's good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. I'm, I said at the beginning, I'm so thankful for you and, and um, your pace. There's something about the pace of you that allows us to have this conversation. So thank you. Uh, often I, my, one of my prayers is, Lord, help me to walk at the pace of the Spirit. Mm. And the and the pace of a human. And if I could do both, I'd probably be a lot more rested and I'd be okay with the silence. So how, yeah. how do we not only worship, but walk with a three mile an hour God instead of a 90 mile an hour God <laughs> oh. that we've created in a graven image? <laughs> mm, mm, so good. Thank you uh, for being with us. Thanks for what you shared. It's going to bless a lot of people. Yeah, man. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast. I hope you are inspired and encouraged as well as receive some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're gonna provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it is podcast2023. That's one word, all lowercase, podcast2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give to support the work of gospel saturation. What we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell. But the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and wanna see more of it done. 
So if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Let us know you want to be a prayer partner, and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the Give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a Saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world.